listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Hi, everyone. We are the Frank family, and today my lovely wife, Anne, will be reading from Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 8. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever gotten a really bad performance review? I mean like a really terrible one. Uh, I ran across uh, these recently. Uh, Your greatest strength is your listening abilities. Well, there might not actually be anything going on in your head, but it seems like you're listening. Uh, We had a technician at work who was totally useless and would blame others for his mistakes. The foreman told him he wasn't qualified to clear a minefield with a hammer. One guy shared, I was a wide receiver in high school football, and one of the coaches once said to me, you couldn't run out of sight in a week. One woman said, my manager told me, you seem like you don't care and you show no sympathy. Now, surely there's some exaggeration in there. Uh, At at least we hope, right? But maybe you've gotten really negative feedback and at least some of it was true. Maybe you've gotten a bad review as a parent or a spouse or a friend, Uh, a bad review that kind of feels like you're a bad person. I don't want you in my life anymore. Have you ever gotten a review like that? What if we got a bad review from God? How do you recover from that? Are those negative things your identity? Are they your future? Are they your destiny? I think the fact is we've all blown it in different ways in different times and probably all wondered, is there any recovery? Is there any hope for me? Is there any happiness that could ever be possible again because of what I've done? Or maybe for some of us that fear of possibly being rejected drives us to work all the more and you can never let yourself show any weakness or failure. Uh, For me, I realize 
my fear of rejection makes it hard for me to receive criticism. But there's no joy in that. There's no hope, there's no future in that. I, I, people can't be real with me sometimes, or they feel like they can't. There's no freedom. Is there recovery when we've really blown it? Is there any hope? Is there any future? Is there any joy possible? I think that's what Isaiah wants us to hear from the Lord today. I think the key idea of this passage is that everlasting love produces enduring joy. It's everlasting love that produces enduring joy. We've been going through the book of Isaiah, particularly these chapters in 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, seeing God's promise of a servant who would save. And we've seen, especially over these last few weeks in chapter 53, the depths of darkness and suffering and brokenness that God pours out on his servant. And then now in Isaiah 54, it's this amazing turnaround, this, this celebration from, from the depths of failure and death and destruction to joy and restoration and promise and future and security. What is it that makes that possible? Well, if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 54, and we're going to start in verse 1. Sing, God says, or your translation may say rejoice or shout for joy. And then the very next word seems to be anything but a cause for joy. Rejoice, O barren one. Sing, break forth and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, you who don't have any children. Can you imagine looking at a woman who, or a man for that matter, who, who has so longed to have children? A, a couple that have maybe struggled with infertility or maybe they've been able to get pregnant but haven't seen any of their children live. And, and say into the middle of that longing, rejoice, be happy, be glad. I mean, doesn't that seem insensitive, maybe cruel even? It, certainly seems impossible. How can she rejoice or burst into singing when her pain is so great? How can you rejoice when you live with unfulfilled longings, unsatisfied desires, promises that have hopes that have not come to fruition? I think the first thing God wants us to see is that everlasting love produces enduring joy in recovery. There's a promise of recovery here through God's everlasting love. And I want us to be clear that the point is not that literal childlessness or abandonment is shameful, nor widowhood. Verse 1, did you hear God's tender heart and compassion for the childless, for barrenness, for the widow? The ones who are seen as less than by society, the, the ones that maybe the world would say, oh, there's something shameful about your condition. God cares for especially and is tenderhearted and, and uses them as a picture of the love and the joy that he wants to pour out on his people. But those painful realities of childlessness, of abandonment, 
are a picture of God's people. You see, God doesn't just get angry with his people, this old covenant people of Israel, for no reason. God's people are the abandoners who have been abandoned. We, God's people, are the spiritually childless who should be producing offspring for the Lord, who should be growing God's kingdom, but have become like a barren vine, desolate, afraid, ashamed, empty, humiliated, deserted. It's a horrible set of circumstances to be in. And yet, look what God says, that the tenderness and the promise here, enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen the stakes. Drive them in deep, literally. For you will spread abroad to the right and the left. Your offspring will possess the nations and people the desolate cities. And even in that promise, the, the phrase desolate cities is a reminder that God's people are the ones who made those cities desolate. It was their rejection, their abandonment of God that brought on their destruction. And even though they deserve abandonment, rejection, barrenness, they will not be forgotten. God will restore them. God will bring recovery out of this situation. For these people, of course, a, a promise that even after they go into exile, God will bring them back to the land. God will resettle them. They will repopulate the, the desolate areas. But because the servant has paid the price for them. See, this imagery of uh, living in tents, maybe it's not as familiar to us because, of course, we live in established homes. But if you've gone camping, uh, or you can maybe at least get the mental image. This is looking back to the days when Israel was a wandering people living in tents, and they were set apart to, to be in the Lord's presence. And to expand your habitation meant make the, make the tent bigger, add more sections, lengthen the ropes. And, and drive the stakes in deep because you're going to grow, you're going to expand. You're not going to be stuck in this reality of emptiness and smallness forever. I think I've shared when I was in grade school, my parents divorced after 21 years of marriage. And then fast forwarding to my wife and Amelia and I, as we were approaching our 20th, our 21st anniversaries, I remembered this sense of anxiety, dread, wondering, is this my future? Is this my destiny? Because I grew up feeling that sense of rejection and abandonment and wondering, is that what I'm going to replay into my life and my children's life? Am I destined to get divorced? What, am I going to be cast off, rejected? by my wife. Maybe you've felt that even in a close relationship like that. Maybe you've even experienced it. Enduring joy doesn't come from a promise that marriages will last forever, although that is God's desire. Enduring joy doesn't come from a promise that the childless will have children, although that is a blessing. 
It's because of God's everlasting love that we are not cut off, that we are not barren, we are not desolate, abandoned, and forgotten. Because ultimately, Jesus is the fulfillment of this. In Christ, we all become part of a family that is larger than any of us could ever produce on our own. There's a recovery here, you see, of of a place and and a purpose and a family. The contrast that God draws here is between one who has no chance of bearing children and one who is in a place to bear children, the married one. You would naturally expect to produce more than the one who isn't married. And that's why it's this amazing reversal and something that is impossible for us naturally. It's only the Lord that can do this, that would produce more than we are even capable of ourselves. It's a picture of the Lord's people, the church, who are produced supernaturally by his work. And and so God's promise to the spiritually barren, to people who are lost and alienated and far from God, is not even just personal recovery and abundance, but this community of God's people that would spread across the world that would be known and would exist to draw more people in, to fill the desolate places, to take light into darkness, to bring life where there's deadness. It's a picture of God inviting all the failures to a feast in his kingdom at a table where he keeps adding leaves and setting more chairs. And that's the promise of what he will do. That's the reason that we can rejoice. Our ultimate outcome will be better than our current situation. Because everlasting love produces enduring joy in recovery, recovery of hope, recovery of family, recovery of purpose. And when these people rejoice, you see, they're doing it by faith, not because of what they can see, but because of what God has promised. That 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 longing for hope and recovery and fullness will be fulfilled. Are there things that you think God can't do in your life because of where you are or where you've been or what you've done? We don't serve a God of half measures and small vision and limited power. I think Isaiah is saying, have big faith in a big God. His goal is to draw more people into his kingdom, to add more seats at the table to fill the empty chairs. What does that mean for you? Maybe it's a restoration of relationships in your family that have become broken. Maybe it's a a hope of recovery from addiction or introducing that friend or that neighbor, that coworker to Jesus and seeing them actually come to faith. Do you believe that God can do it? That God can produce that kind of life and recovery? Not just for you, but for the people God could reach through you. Ask big things of God, because if it's in line with his kingdom purposes, like this recovery, this restoration, God is the one who will do it. See God's bigger picture and let him write your story. Because everlasting love produces enduring joy in recovery. But there's still those voices in our heads. Am I I marked forever? Is that failure, that 
abandonment, that sin, my, my destiny, my identity. No, everlasting love produces enduring joy in our identity, in the identity that God gives us in Christ. Look at how Isaiah goes on. Fear not, he says in verse 4. You will not be ashamed. Don't be confounded. You will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your maker is your husband. Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called. Do you see the picture here? Israel is like a wife, again, that has become unfaithful or has been abandoned, cast off, rejected. In verse 6, God says, because she's committed adultery, with all these other gods and saviors and looked for other things, other people to save her and turned her back on the Lord and instead loved wealth and power. And so she put her hope in them and the result was injustice and oppression and violence and dishonesty. So God strips them of all that wealth and power and disciplines them, sends them off just like he'd warned. It's kind of like an extended time out. A little more serious than that, but, you know, you hit your brother, you took his toy, you yelled at him, you lied about it, and now you need to go sit in the corner and think about what you've done. They are guilty. They are rebels. They brought God's judgment on themselves. But instead, God takes that judgment and he lays it on the servant. That's what chapter 53 has been about. A substitute takes the rejection, the suffering, the punishment that God's people deserve. That's Jesus ultimately. He has fulfilled all these promises and predictions. And God says, here's what I want you to know. My grace will be so overwhelming, so deep, so satisfying you won't even remember your shame in comparison. You won't even bring it to mind in the presence of Yahweh, in the presence of the Lord, all your regrets and failures evaporate. Have you ever seen this picture? Who can see an old woman with a large nose and, and, and kind of a grimace with her chin tucked down towards her chest, looking off to the right. And, and how many can see a young woman that we're seeing from behind looking off to the right from the distance with, with her cheek and her eyebrow and her nose sticking off that way? Can you see the young woman there? Well, it's an optical illusion, right? I mean, it's both a tired-looking old woman and a a young lady full of hope and promise. Both those things are true. The people of God have brought on themselves failure and rejection and barrenness, but God doesn't tell them to look to themselves. He says, look to me and listen to what I say about you. Because one of the things about these kinds of optical illusions is once you see it one way, you have to be very intentional to force yourself to remember to see it the other way. 
And that's what God is saying to us. Remember what we saw last week in Isaiah 53, 11 about the servant. By his knowledge or by knowledge of him, the righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted righteous and he will bear their iniquities. We are both guilty and righteous, but God wants us to see ourselves the way he does. That's the message of the maker who is your husband, the one who knows you inside and out, the one who knows everything that you've done and the truth of it that we don't even want to acknowledge to ourselves. He is the one who will marry himself to you. We are the bride of Christ. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the the Righteous One, the only one who's qualified to judge, the only one who's qualified to condemn. And He is the one who redeems you. He's not your judge. He's your rescuer. Your failures are not final. See, God meets us where we are and loves us and gives us a new name and a new identity in Christ. What names do you give yourself? I mean, I catch myself sometimes when I make some mistake, when I forget something. I could say, oh, that was stupid. Why did I do that? No, no, that's not, that is a lie that I'm believing. I'm not stupid. I'm not a failure. I'm not forgotten. I'm not worthless. I'm not cringe. I'm beloved. I'm delighted in. I'm a child of the living God. The maker of heaven and earth who made me and knows me is the one who has brought me to himself and loves me. I am forgiven. I am righteous. Frederick Buechner wrote this, resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. God promises to bring beauty out of the ashes for his people. His everlasting love produces enduring joy as we see our identity in him. Not in what we've done, whether good or bad. Oh, find your identity in Christ to know joy. Look at how Isaiah goes on. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says Yahweh, the Lord, your Redeemer. Israel's sins have caused all of this failure, rejection, brokenness, but God does not rub their noses in it. Yes, he he calls them to acknowledge it, to admit it so they can repent, so they can find joy and be healed. But he promises that his grace and mercy would change the trajectory of their lives, of our lives. Because... Everlasting love produces enduring joy in security, in the security that we have in God. Instead of rejection and isolation. In a moment, yes, God says, I 
rejected you. That moment is the 70-year captivity in Babylon that at this point hasn't even happened yet that Isaiah is prophesying about in advance. But he's already telling the people, I know you're going to continue to reject me, and I've warned you and warned you what will happen if you do, and even though it will bring my anger, it will only last a moment. Because my love is greater than my anger. One writer points out, if you look across the scope of how God is described and how he describes himself in the Bible, he never has to be provoked to love. Love is his nature. It's his disposition. He never has to be cajoled into compassion. Israel's sins finally, after a long time, provoked God to anger, but his default is love and kindness. God's saying, I want to give you hope. I want to give a future to you that is secure in my great compassion. It's not like your present. It's not like your past. Do you ever wonder if you've done enough? If it's ever been good enough? If you've ever been good enough? A friend was sharing recently with a conversation that he had with a Mormon friend and talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus really has done and accomplished for us. And as his friend was trying to drive into the heart of God's forgiveness, the the Mormon friend acknowledged, I never know if I've done enough. I never know if I'm good enough. I, I don't have any security. And that's exactly what God wants to free us from, to have security in who he is, in his promise, in his compassion. Why do we need to hear this? Maybe, maybe sometimes we tend to think that God is quick to anger and slow to forgive, because that's more what we're like. Dane Ortland, in his wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, wrote this. From one angle, the Christian life is a long journey of letting our natural assumption about God fall away, being replaced by God's own insistence on who he is. It's hard work. It takes a lot of sermons and a lot of suffering to believe that God's deepest heart is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Many of you have that imposter syndrome, that it the fear that if people really knew me, if you really knew what I was like, if you saw me in my worst moments, I'm going to be found out, and, and then you'll turn away. If you really saw me for who I am, fear not, God says. Fear not. Because he's our maker, he knows, and he's on your side. He really is for you. There is a glorious future for God's people, and he wants you to have that security and reassurance and joy in it because of his everlasting love in verse 8. That is in Hebrew, olam chesed. We've heard that word chesed before. We've talked about it. It's God's covenant faithfulness, his enduring love, his loving kindness. But it's intensified here with the word olam that means eternal, unending, infinite. 
God cannot never love you. It's the promise of enduring love. I will have compassion on you, says the Lord. Says the Lord. Listen to what the Lord says to you. What he thinks about you. Security comes from listening to him. He is a God who is a compassionate redeemer, full of faithful, enduring love. And that's the security that brings joy. You know, we're finally starting to see light at the end of the tunnel with this pandemic. And all God's people said, Amen. And yet, even in that, there's maybe a potential danger if you think of it, like, man, glad that's over. We can just put that behind us, forget it. Now things can get back to normal. Things can be good again. And I wonder if that's part of what God's people here were tempted with. Oh, finally, God's going to take us out of Babylon. We're going to get back to Israel, and it's going to be the good old days, and everything will be back to normal. Yes, those people were restored back to the land. And yes, someday, Lord willing, we'll be able to sit closer than six feet and hug one another for those who want it and not have to talk through masks. Those are good things. They're not ultimate things. They're not the source of our enduring joy, right? We don't have to wait for those things to happen to have joy. This is Palm Sunday, a day of rejoicing, a day of acknowledging Jesus as king, a day of proclaiming victory. But we remember, of course, those people on Palm Sunday kind of missed it. They were looking for a different kind of victory, a different kind of savior. It wasn't in the promise of children or success or wealth or blessings or land or any of it. God says your joy is in the recovery that I provide. You will not be barren. You will not be childless. You will not be abandoned and alone and without a family. I will forgive you. I will restore you. I will bless you to be a blessing. God says your joy is in the identity I give you. You will not be known for the shame of your sin. You are loved, accepted, delighted in, rejoiced over. God says your joy is in the security that I give you. Because my compassion lasts longer than judgment and my love is deeper than any anger. God says, you will know my joy forever because I will never stop loving you. Everlasting love is what produces enduring joy. Rejoice in that. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that in Christ we have the promise of your everlasting love. Whether we have spouses and children or not, whether we wear masks or not, whether we see the team we want ever get back to the championship, whether we see success and growth and prosperity that we hope for or not. Father, thank you that your compassion lasts longer than any discipline or punishment, and your love is deeper than any anger. Oh, Father, help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Help us to rejoice, rejoice eternally with security and identity and recovery in you because of your everlasting love. We give you all the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.